Almighty God, as we do enter into these final moments of 2023, we want to enter it soberly, sober-minded, uh, not with just wanton or um, haphazardly just celebrate it as maybe as we've done in the past. But we want to enter it in your word. So God, we ask that you would open our hearts and may the hearts that we have, the meditation that we give to you, be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's turn again to Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16 to 21. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 16 to 21. When you have found it, let's rise for the reading of God's word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I always do look forward to this kind of time. I look forward to videos like this. When you look at videos, you see like, oh, this happened. It's kind of a reminder. I'm not really much of a picture taker. I know some, some of you are. And if I would look in your phones, maybe I would, I would see a roll, a photo roll of, I don't know, tens of thousands of pictures. Is that too little? Hundreds of thousands? I don't know. I, I think I would see maybe 100,000 pictures in some people's phones. Some of you I know have gotten that maximum iCloud storage so that you can store all your photos of what I don't know. Are they that important? I don't know. But some of it is important, like we saw here. And we saw this photo roll of our past year in our church. And I can't help but to give thanks to God for his faithfulness over our lives. Um, there are things that you know, you're reminded of, things that you notice, things that are small to great, you know, some small things are how we had these retreats. Some great things is Pastor Paul's impeccable squat form. When he was just bending down, you're like, how does a man his age still have that flexibility? Please share with me your secrets. And he'll probably just say, stop eating. So I was like, okay, fine. But uh, those are things that you continue to look at and appreciate over time. I do look back and people might ask, um, what happened? What changed? When did you really change to me? And it's interesting because I've said this before and I was sharing with people. What I found incredibly surprising was how many people started to listen to our podcast. I didn't know why, but I just wanted to share some of my thoughts during COVID. And some of these things really came out to light. I think there is a correlation between the physical virus that we had and the virus of the ideology uh, penetrating even our most central institutions in the world. 
It's, I guess it started, too, um, when people just can't talk about COVID in a regular like, setting. We can't just talk about it. People are very, very invested. You know? I believe this, even COVID, this is something that we don't know that much about. And people just have this really strong feelings. And I, I found that very intriguing to me because I would bring up certain topics or certain findings that I have. And if you were part of the session, I almost texted the session every day with multiple like findings that I would have on COVID. Here's this clinical study that I saw, here's this other thing, and then here's this other thing, and then I'm sure they were tired of it, but I thought it'd be good for us to know. I have family members who are um, medical doctors who actually worked in COVID wards here in Jersey uh, when it happened, and they would share with me their thoughts, and I would give them a pushback saying, well, what about this? And I remember one person saying, uh, it looks like you did more study than I did. And I was like, isn't that a weird thing for a doctor to say to me? I'm not a medical professional, and I'm just giving you what I see as clinical studies all around the U.S., 300 of them. Here it, all, it is all compiled, saying this is how you can literally um, cut these. And it wasn't peer-reviewed because people didn't want to peer-review it, but here is literally how... 300 of these clinical studies all around the United States showed that you could cut hospitalization rates in half, at least, if you just take three supplements. That was it. That was it. It was vitamin C, vitamin D, and bromelain. And that, that's it. And so I would share this with certain people. And then, like, some people were skeptical. Some people were like, eh, you know, I'll take my chances. I'll mask up and things like that. And other people were like, I'm really going through something right now. Let me take this stuff and see if you're right. And, uh, you know. So I've had multiple back, back and forths with people. But it was more interesting, not, not the fact that I gave you, like, you know, not an authority on COVID by any means, but I would just give you these are the findings that I have. You know, take it with a grain of salt if you'd like. But, you know, here's what I see. And if it helps, praise the Lord. I don't want anybody to get sick or die from this. Um, but it really did start a lot with what really pushed me over was I was on the pulpit and I shared what the experts said because we didn't know. It was a novel disease that we were going through. And from the pulpit, and some of you came after COVID, but from the pulpit, I said, the expert, the main expert, the head of the NIH said, we shouldn't mask. Masks don't do anything. In fact, save the masks for the professionals they are the ones that know how to use it. We don't have enough masks. You remember? There weren't enough masks at one point, and people went crazy. Our landlord here, like, begged us for masks and said, Could you, do you have any masks at all? And, you know, a bunch of us here are Korean, so we have connection. And so we had all these masks. And so we gave our landlord, who was Jewish at the time, masks, and he was so grateful. He's like, I'll make a donation to your church. And he literally gave us a donation because we, we just gave him four masks uh, because it was, it was that much of a hot commodity. And I remember saying that from the whole because I thought I wanted to share what the experts were saying uh, with our church. I wanted to share good information. Don't, don't wear masks, people. This is what they said in, I think, February or something like that of 2020. And this same professional, this expert, came out a few months later and then started to change. It's like, you have to wear a mask. If you don't wear a mask, you're killing the people next to you. I said, what happened? Uh, why don't you give an explanation of what changed? Did the science change? Science doesn't change, you know? I didn't really say that. And all these, like, 
excuses started to come out. And this was supposed to be some, one of the top experts in the field. It showed us how little we know. And then I saw this degradation in our society where people just didn't trust anybody or people just said we need to blindly trust the experts or other people say we can't trust the experts at all. And this extreme started to form. So you are either one of the two groups for the most part. You have to trust whatever they say, no matter what, because these are their healthcare professionals. They know. And I had people come call my wife because she was friends with a lot of other healthcare professionals. They would say, I'm a healthcare professional. I know you need to wash all your food. So we bought fruit washers and we would wash all our fruit before putting it in our fridge or storing them away because we just didn't know. But they would come and say, I am the professional. You need to listen to me. And so did they ever call back and say, whoops, no, they didn't. Do I wish they did? No, no, it's fine that they didn't. But with the weight that they had, they would insist, you need to follow this. And this is when I think people started to realize, wow, we know less than we ever thought. But that's not my point. Whether you are on one side or the other, I'm not trying to make you feel bad or good or, ah, I was right, you know, all the conspiracy theorists were right. That's not what I'm saying. Whether you are on one side or the other, what I am trying to point out is that what happened after is something like a dismantling of trust of our fundamental institutions. People who trusted their doctors less. Uh, people would question them. And so some doctors would come out even more in force. During COVID, my wife was pregnant. And then she would see one of her doctors. It was in um, a practice. So, you know, when you, when you have a doctor, let's say you're pregnant, you might not have a, one doctor. You might have go to a practice and they have multiple doctors. So she was in part of that in her plan. And one of the doctors would say to her, you need to get your booster. And she was like, well, I'm not too sure because, you know, I'm pregnant. Um, maybe I could wait till after I give birth because in a few months she would give birth. And he would say to her, I'm the doctor and I know more than you. You need to get your booster. So she came back home. She was, she was uh, really turned off by that. She came back home. She told me about it. She's like, I wish you were there with me. Um, so you could talk to this guy. <laughs> and, and I would say, you know, it's fine. I think people just really are passionate about what they think is right. They just want to push it. What happens when you're wrong, though? Um, people trust you less, don't they? And so what happens when you're wrong? People trust you less. So you need to get that trust again. So if I keep on saying something, let's say I keep on telling you tomorrow the sun will rise at 9 a.m., and then you're like, okay, Pastor Eugene says the sun will rise at 9 a.m. And tomorrow it doesn't rise at 9 a.m. In fact, it rises at like 7.30. What are you going to do? You're like, well, I guess he was wrong. It's like, no, 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 no. It's going to rise at 9 a.m. Let me just tell you. I know. I'm a sunrise expert. I'll let, you, I'll let you know. So the more I keep on saying that, and the more you trust me less because I keep on getting it wrong, what happens when I need to get your trust again? And I think that's one of the things that we are witnessing. What happens if I need to get, gain that trust again? What do I need to do to you when I've been wrong a bunch of times? And you say, well, you were wrong here. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand sunrises. Let me tell you as a sunrise expert, you don't understand anything about sunrises. I know sunrises and I'll call it 
the science or the sunrise, TM, or something like that. You don't know anything about the sunrise. I know the sunrise. I'm the sunrise expert. And what happens if you trust me less and less? And it really seemed something like a, a, a scene from, or apart from the book 1984, where they're like, I didn't say that. You, you, I didn't say anything like that. I'm like, we literally have videos of you saying exactly what we're saying you said. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. And so it was like, what? So words started to not have the same meaning anymore. And these were not from the lower echelons of society. These are from our upper institutions. And so, you know, I would do some more digging. Again, I said, I have friends and family members who are in the medical field. So I would ask them, how do you know this is true? Why are you giving, for example, why are you giving remdesivir? What's so wrong about ivermectin that you posted online that people who take ivermectin are poor schlubs who don't know anything? What's so wrong about that? Can you give me the information? And it was just too much for them to talk. And I said, you know, you know, the drug remdesivir, it, it works, uh, but you, know, you could have organ failure. We have multiple instances of it. And, and then, so is there a safer way to go buy it? Is, is there a cheaper, safer alternative that's also effective that we've seen work? Or is it something that you just get from top down? This is what works. You need to push this. Anybody who says otherwise, they don't know what they're talking about. And so even someone who is the elite of society just says that exact same thing. So I would challenge people and say, you know, you are in the medical field. People trust their lives to you, especially when they're really scared about their health. And so here are some case studies that I've seen. What do you think? This is not just some case study in Germany. I, I did look at the German NIH because they posted a bunch of stuff. This is in the United States about ivermectin, for example, or vitamin C, for example, or bromelain, for example. And so I would say here are... Here, is the studies that, here are the studies that the CDC posted, and they're just not saying this is, you know, this is peer-reviewed, this is not something that they will say definitively this works, but here are just some case studies that we have, and we'll, we're just gonna put that in this portion here in our website. And so I started to see that, and I didn't really blame people for distrusting, let's say, places of authority. I didn't blame them. And I would say, but who are you going to trust then? They would just respond, well, not them. You know, I'm not going to trust them. But I think that's the question, isn't it? If you can't trust your doctor, if you can't trust the medical expert, if you can't trust the authorities that have been placed, who can you trust? It's like, well, not them. It's like, well, not them is, is not really an answer. Who can you trust? Are you only going to trust your gut instinct? Are we really going to go back to the Stone Ages and things like that. So that was a real question that I was wrestling with for many years. And so when I share something like this and what I shared earlier this morning, this was, I think, a long time coming because I see this as a, the authority that God has placed over the whole world. The whole world has an authority that God has given every layer of society has authority that God gives. And I'm going to tell you the premise of the sermon before I finish it. This is as I begin. This, is, this sermon is about inversions. The end has to do with inversions. We, we make an inverse out of authority now. 
So I asked the question, I posed it. What happens when you distrust me, when I need to get your trust? Because let's say I don't have the church's trust. You don't trust me on anything that I say. I open the Bible, it's like he's just going to say whatever he wants to say. You know, who knows what it really means. And no one trusts me. What happens if I have to lead this group? Because I have to lead this group. Everybody can't just do whatever they want. So what happens if you don't trust the leader? Well, there's an inversion that starts to happen. And what, we, what happens is you need to start going more to the center. So the way government functions is that we, government is on the outside, the family's in the inside. And if the family goes on the outside, it's, it's stretched apart and it's ruined. But if the government goes on the inside, that's called tyranny. It's ruined. The family is ruined. And I'll, I'll give you even more further examples. The more there's distrust in authority figures, for whatever reason, it could be well-deserved. You know, you could be like, well, they deserve not to be trusted. That's fine. I'm not disagreeing with you. Whatever side you're on, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm trying to pose what is at stake. What is at stake is for me to lead this group. Let's just, this is just the smaller circle of what is going on outside. For me to lead this group, I need to go even more inside the center. I need to go to each person and make sure you do this. 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 Otherwise, there will be repercussions. And then so I go even more to the center. I go more and more to the center. I get more and more involved with individuals, not just with you know, enclaves of, let's say, groups or families or ministries. I go to the individual. And when that happens, that's called tyranny. And whether you love the left or the right, let's say you, know, you hate the left or you hate the right, whatever it is, I think whatever way we're going, we are going to a place of tyranny. I'm not trying to be all like doomsday, that kind of thing. You're like, oh yeah, and no, but I'm really not. I'm just trying to point out what is naturally going to happen. What naturally happens when the authority figures start to lose control is that they need to start using more and more force to get it together. Because how do you keep a society together? Let's say a society is here in this bowl, and you have to have something that contains that bowl. But let's say the more spread out you are, the more force you have to put to put them together. And we are more and more spread out, are we not? Because we really don't have a center anymore. And I talked about this earlier today. The more you don't have a center, the more you spread out. The more you spread out, a force needs to be put to put everything back together. Otherwise, you don't have anything. It's just a mess on the floor. Whatever is in the bowl, there is no bowl. It's just nothing. There's nothing. And so the government should be on the outside, the family on the inside, but we're seeing an inversion of that. And now families even, if you look at TikTok and your social medias, families on the outside. What is that? I, I see people like influencers say, you know, if they don't accept who you are, leave them. Leave your families. I am your family. These sick, perverted people would say this to children on their TikToks. And then kids who watch this is like, yeah, my parents don't accept who I am. I should leave my family and I should join this, this guy who says he is my family because he accepts me for who I am. So we see the family now going outside, and the government needs to come more inside. We see this inversion. There's other forms of inversion. If you remember what I said this morning, all these forms of inversion are happening.
You have to watch for it because you, once, I, once you know it, you can't unsee it. Um, things like cannibalism. Um, I remember seeing this on like just daytime TV. These Hollywood stars and actresses who say, oh, what part of a body would you eat? And they're all just laughing. It's weird. Why are you saying that? It's like, you know what? You know, I give you my arm. And it's like, why are they joking about cannibalism, which is truly disgusting? Uh, what about any kind of sexual perversion or sodomy? How are they all connected? Well, it's an inversion. It's an inversion. Instead of us consuming things from the outside, we start to consume ourselves. That's what sexual immorality is. It's a consuming of ourselves because instead of producing, we are keeping to ourselves. Any kind of immorality doesn't produce. It continues to go inside. And that's why we're saying any, any kind of immorality, whether it's sexual or some other immorality, anything outside of God, it doesn't produce fruit. It actually detracts from the fruit. And so cannibalism is a clear case of that. Abortion is a clear case of that, where you start to consume yourself more and more because it's an inversion. Now, why are people doing that, though? Why are people doing that? And I think there is a key in this verse that I really wanted to show and the verses that we've read. And I didn't really, really extrapolate on verses 19, 20, and 21 because, again, uh, there was so much. But I'll just do a little bit here. And there is something that God does if you read the verses. And as a Christian growing up, you read these verses, you're like, yeah, you know, the jackals and the ostriches, they'll just be chill, you know. There's going to be water in the desert. That's cool. But I don't know if we really understand the significance of that. If there is water in the desert, it's not a desert. Desert, by definition, means it doesn't have water. That's why it's a desert. Any kind of desert climate is a lack of water. That's why it's a desert climate. So what does it mean that God is going to give rivers in the desert? That means a vast flowing water in the desert. What does that mean? And so you start to think about what God is saying he will do. And then you start to think about why this is happening today. Because once you take out God, you want to do what God is going to do. And this is eschatological, what we see here. But before I get into that, let me just continue on with this thought process and I hope you're following along because I don't think it's that difficult. I did ask my wife today. It's like, was it any difficult? It's like, no, but it was long. as all right. Anyway, but it wasn't difficult, I don't think. The concept isn't difficult. If you continue to push water through the desert, it's no longer a desert. It's not a desert. And so we see concepts like this. What God is saying he will do eschatologically, we need to bring forth without God. That's the point. Everything that God says he will do is something that we internally really desire and want. We internally, for some reason, no matter what side of the spectrum you are, we think that viruses are bad. No one says viruses are good. Give me the virus. The, the very few people that would do that. In fact, if you thought like that, you wouldn't be here probably. You would be six feet under. And so what about, what about it is so intriguing and different is that we think that we take out God, but somehow inside of us, 
we really want this eschatological reality that God gives us in the Word. Whether you know the Word or not, maybe you've never read this before, but somehow when you look at the desert and you see that life can barely thrive, you're like, I wish I could do something about it if I could. And I was watching this, you know, it was just some silly TV show about some person with superpowers and they could change like the atomic structure of things and they would think like, you know what, I could go to the desert and I can make it flourish again. It's like, yeah, if it's that easy, why don't you do it? And so she goes and flies around and like making fruit and things like that. I think there's something innate within us. I'm going to continue on this, this kind of thought process and bear with me. That's why we say things like, in our generation, we will eradicate hunger. You heard that before, yes? We will eradicate poverty in our generation. We have the power to do so. I remember it was just a year ago when people would say to Elon Musk, all you need to do is give us $7 billion and we could eradicate poverty. I mean, I don't know where they got that number. Obviously, that's not true. But people really believe that, that they can eradicate poverty. So when they're helping the poor, they're not just helping the poor. They, are, they really believe that they can completely do away with poverty, meaning they can actually make rivers flow in the desert, is my point. There's something inside us that wants to have this eschatological prophecy be a reality in our time. But we want to do it without God. So there's an inverse happening, and, but we still want the, this, um, you know, this inversion of what God is giving us, but, there's an, but we do a man-made inversion, not the inversion that God is showing, which I'll get to as well. In the end, what I wanted to say is people really want to do what only God can. But what happens when we do the inversions when we create inversions, so we take the center out, we put it on the outside, what used to be in the center of our nation, our churches, our families, let's say, it's God, and we decided to place that on the outside. So maybe once a year you go to church, Christmas, just like once a year carnival would come, but now we're gonna take the carnival and we're gonna put it in the center. So every day's a carnival. Every day you dress up. Every day you see, uh, you know, the bearded lady. Every day you see some kind of exotic exhibition and now you have to you say if you call that exotic you know that's that's bigoted of you that kind of thing so we took what was outside we took the barbarians from the outside we placed it in the middle and we took what was central to our society and we placed it on the outside and so that's the inversion that we could do but what happens when you do that i said it in part one there is disintegration but let me give you the part two you start to make mutations you start to make mutations, meaning you take things and what you thought was going to come out doesn't come out, but something else comes out. That's a mutation. It's like a gargoyle. Ever see gargoyles in like cathedrals? They're on the outside. You ever wonder why these like grand cathedrals have gargoyles? Get into that maybe some other time. But anyway, but you take these mutations and then they become, you know, reality. Um, what you thought you would do, you don't do. In fact, you create something entirely different. And these mutations start to destroy. They start to do things that you didn't think would happen. And then all of a sudden, we're all surprised. It's like, um, all I wanted to do was make rivers in the desert. 
Why is that so wrong, God? Why is that so wrong? And then, but you've inversed things where you shouldn't have. And something that you couldn't do because you wanted to play God is the point. So instead of saying, I want to help the poor because Jesus says the poor will always be among you. And he also says to help the poor. Those that are, you know, needy, you know, the naked, uh, the people that are hungry, uh, the people that, you know, were thirsty. If you do that for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. So that's why you would do it, right? He didn't say that once you do it, there will be no hunger, hungry people. He didn't say that. But you do this because you do this for God, because God is the one that's going to essentially uh, reverse that. But we think that we have the power to reverse it. And so we took God out because we think that we could play God. And we see all these things happening because we think that, again, we could play God. And then the mutations come out. And they were wondering why all these mutations and gargoyles are flying around and what we could do to stop them. But what was supposed to be on the outside has now come on the inside. This was my point. And what happens when things like that come on the inside? Well, we saw it. We're seeing it happening. If you are wrong about something, you can't say that you're wrong. Again, no one called me and said, you know what, Eugene, I was wrong. Um, you shouldn't wash your fruit. Uh, it was a pretty much a pointless task. I didn't know what was happening, and this is something that I heard, and I used you know, my medical status to try to be more convincing to you, and I apologize for that. That doesn't happen. That's never happened to me, at least. But what does happen is you start to double down. And that's what we're seeing in society. We're like, look at this. What was supposed to be on the outside? The gargoyles, the mutations are inside. What do we do? It's like, you're not seeing gargoyles. That's not what you're seeing. What you're seeing is, you don't, well, first of all, you don't understand mutations. Let me tell you about mutations. What you're seeing is something else. And they just keep on doubling down and doubling down. And so what have we come to? We've come to a place where... The inversions and the disintegration, the mutations are now, people are saying, actually, that's what we wanted. That was the point. The point was we did want this, you know? Well, what about, you know, all these reports like this can happen? Forget about that. Forget about that because you got to break a few eggs to make an omelet. Someone actually said that to me. It's like, actually, people have gotten these really bad results from, you know, shots or whatever you want to call them. And it's like, you got to break a few eggs. Some people are going to die. And any, any, like read your, read your medical reports. In any kind of, you know, vaccine or in medicine, there's always some kind of, you know, anomaly that might happen, a, a variation that might happen from what was intended. So you're going to have some. That, so you got to break a few eggs to, to make it all. But ultimately, we want to preserve humanity. You got to make the eggs. So, I'll, you know, people will tell me things like that. I said, okay, you know, I, I get it. But what are they really saying? You know, you want to keep on hiding it. It's like, they're not really gargoyles. They're just, you know, they're not really mutations. And I just, I'm not just talking about COVID. I think COVID is just a small thing. COVID is such a small thing for me because that's a physical thing that really pointed all of society to the spiritual thing that's happening. There's a spiritual virus, and I hope you get it. There's a spiritual virus that's happening, and there are mutations that have happened. And people are like, they're not really mutations. They're not gargoyles. The ideologies that you're seeing, the things that we're trying to teach your kids, that's not really a thing. 
You're making a big deal out of nothing, people. That's, that's what I want to get at. And so what are we doing now? We see these inversions happen. We see the mutations happen. And now to make sure that these mutations are something that people want to say this was supposed to happen, we've changed our society. So our society has slowly changed. And that's where I wanted to circle back to Halloween. <laughs> so all of that, I wanted to circle back to Halloween. So we are celebrating the inversions. That's what it is. We celebrate the mutations. We celebrate the grotesque. We celebrate the monstrosities. We say, this is amazing. We celebrate what has been on the outside. And we don that costume. But now it's not just the costume. We say, this is who we really are. We really are the barbarians. We really are these mutations. We are the inverses. We're forced to celebrate it. And so we're not celebrating what actually builds life, what promotes life or promulgates life, what would give life. That's not what we're celebrating. What we are celebrating and what we are forced to celebrate are things that we know are destroying us. Again, I'm not talking about the physical world. I'm talking about our spiritual reality. The, the physical stuff, that's just a pointer to what is really happening to the spiritual world. If you want any kind of cohesiveness in any society, there needs to be celebration. I think people got this. Well, we don't want to celebrate Christmas. We don't want to celebrate Easter. Fine, then what do we celebrate? I told you, the third biggest holiday is now Halloween. So we need to celebrate it. Otherwise, you don't have a cohesive structure. You know how you know your family is really tight? You celebrate the same thing together. You celebrate. You know, in Christmas, you're like, I have to go see my family. Why? Why? Why don't you just do it at home? Some of the young people are like, yeah, I don't mind. <laughs> but like, if you're older, you're like, you have to just see your family. Well, they're like 50 miles away in a different state. It's like, but I have to see them. Because there is something that you have to celebrate if you're a family. It makes you, so, so to speak, the family that you are. And if you don't celebrate it with your family, there's something a little off, isn't there? If you have family that's really off, far off and you can't celebrate with them, there is something inside you that says, I wish I could celebrate this with them. Isn't there? Isn't that right? And so we want to celebrate the same thing. That's what makes us a family. And now we're forced to celebrate these anomalies, these inversions. And I'm going to bring this back to what happened with what God initially ordered. So if you look at the tabernacle, if you look at the temple, there were courts. And their courts, they're separated by layers. And the layers eventually got thinner and thinner. And as you went out, it was thicker. And I talked about this before, but physically. But even where you physically stood, it was different. So there was a Gentile court on the outside. There was, there was uh, the outer courts where the women could get to go. There was the courts of the Israelites where the men were. There were the priest courts. And then you would go into the inner sanctum. So it was layered. What happened? What happened? That was the order. What happened was that in Jesus Christ, he brought everybody in. So this inversion that people really long for, they long to go to the inside. 
people wanted to do that without Jesus. So they just wanted to do exactly what God did, but they wanted to do it their own way. But only God can do that. Only Jesus can bring people inside. Because it didn't matter if you were in the Israel, because like how their men get to get closer, or the Gentiles could be like how their women get to be in front. You could always complain about that. But in the end, you were still not in the you were not in the Holy of Holies. You could complain about where you were all day long, but that was the order, and that's the way God set it up. We could talk about that all day when we were in Genesis and things like that, or Exodus, and why God did it that way. But the point is, in Jesus Christ, what we all long for happened, and that's why it says in Galatians 3.28, there is no you know, male or female, slave or master in Jesus Christ, because we're all brought into the Holy of Holies. But we think that we could do that on our own. We could just make our way. Let me just tear the ram skin here. Let me tear the goat skin here. Let me tear the linens, linen threads here. Let me just go into the Holy of Holies by myself. And you know what happened? In the Old Testament, it tells you anytime people try to do that on their own, if they were not worthy, God would kill them. You can't do that on your own. That's an inversion. That is a mutation. And with mutations, death happens. Every, you know, there's this whole like... There's this romantic theory that mutations make you powerful. Anybody in medical science knows mutations actually kill you. Mutations are not good. It will not make you into Wolverine or an X-Men at all. You won't shoot laser beams out of your eyes. You will be blind if you have a mutation in your eye. But these things are people are, are now taking to this romantic degree where like, well, you know, isn't there that one in a billion chance that we could evolve to the next species? I'm just going to tell you what I think. I think the answer is no. And the things that we are now seeing is we are forced to celebrate these inversions and these anomalies. And we're seeing, I think the church is starting to wake up and see, ah, that was wrong. That was wrong. We shouldn't have celebrated that. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I let it go in my company. I don't know why I let it go with my friends. I don't know why I let it go when I was working for somebody or someone was under, under my employee and I let this happen. I was wrong. I think people are starting to wake up and see because that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that only God can bring everyone in. You can't force your way in. You can't celebrate a mutation and think that's the real thing. That is not the real thing. And so what do I love about what God says here in his word is that he says, I will make a way in the wilderness, the rivers and the deserts. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers and desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I form for myself. Who is the subject? Who is the subject? Keep on thinking we are the subject. Who is the subject that they might declare my praise. The people of God have to recognize God is the subject. God is the goal. God is the highest point. You know why I still think families will thrive no matter what? No matter what. I think families will be able to survive, otherwise the world will completely end. I think there is something thicker than government. No matter what they say, I think people will get it in the end because blood is thicker than the government. And so there is a tie that you have with blood members of your family that, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I could go to even extreme examples. You might hate your sibling, 
Um, you know, my sister and I fought all the time. But then if someone else said, yeah, Eunice is a blankety blank, I would have knocked the guy out. You know, I would, I would have defended my sister's honor, even though she and I fought all the time. And that's the thing about family, isn't it? Even if, you know, you might fight with them, for most of us, it doesn't mean that someone else could deride them or degrade them in any way. Same thing with your spouse. You can, you know, there's something off about your family if you say something bad about your spouse, but someone else chimes along and says, yeah, your spouse is a blankety-blank too. It's like, mm, that, that's a little weird, right? So I, I still think that blood tie will be there, and that's evidence of God's faithfulness. It, it's, it's his common grace. But in a family, the greatest thing is celebrated that really puts us together. The greatest thing is celebrated. So holidays, you know, you love each other, so you celebrate Christmas. Parents are always telling the kid, make sure you come home. And the kid at the time saying, is like, oh, it's so much trouble to travel, but I'll try, you know. Especially when you're first married and have a little kid, you're like, oh, you know, my wife is pregnant. I don't know if I could travel that long. But then your parents are like, I understand, but it'll be so nice to see you. And that, that's, how they, that's how they say Because it's so important that you celebrate the greatest thing. I still think that blood will be there uh, because of common grace and has been through the millennia. But I think there has been something that we've been given that is greater than familial blood. And that's what we really come together to celebrate. We've been given a blood that is greater than our generational blood. Because as great as generational blood is, we know that through generational blood, even though we are tied, we are tied down to death. We will eventually die. But there is a blood that we have been covered by, that we see starting from the Passover, that when that blood is given and placed over your household, that the whole house lives. You put it on the doorposts, you know, and then the angel of death passes by. There's something weightier than our family blood. Yeah, I, I talk to people here, and I get it that in our society today, it's all about power plays, you know? We're talking about family. Let me just take a quick sidestep here. There's an elder here that told me and the other elders that in his company, they started to give out uh, Christmas gifts. I don't know if you're used to that in the companies you work for, but the men and women got different gifts in his company. And you can ask the elder later, I suppose, if you want more details. But I wanted to prove a point. Um, the men got this gift, and it was worth this much. And the woman got this gift. It was like, he works for a very fashionable designer company. The woman got this gift, which was multiple times worth more than the men's gift. So all the men were upset. Why are the women getting this special gift? So what did the men do? They, they re-registered themselves as non-binary so that they could get this, the woman's gift. And, you know, Session and I had a big laugh about it. But think about it. Why would you do that? Because that's the new currency in the world. The new currency in the world is power. And that currency and power is following the whole DEI that I mentioned. But not knowing that that is a false currency. Sure, it'll get you a handbag that might be worth more. But when you use that currency, you give up something. When you say, I'm going to use power as my currency to deal with the things of the world, you are giving up something. That's what I want to get at. When you continue to say, actually, let me celebrate the gargoyles, let me celebrate the mutations, you celebrating that makes you not celebrate something else. 
What are we not celebrating when we give into it? And I get it. You want that. It's unfair. You want the handbag. It's worth multiple times more than the crappy shoes that you were supposed to get. I get it. But at the same time, you are giving up something. What are you giving up? So when you say, I'm going to, what's the big deal? You know, let me just do it. When you are forced to celebrate something that's not the true thing, you are giving up something. When you decide not to worship God, you are worshiping something else. Don't you see it in your life? As much as you didn't go to church, worship with the saints on Sunday, you had something happen to you. You changed. And it wasn't for the better. Because you gave up something. Because when you do this, you're not doing something else. And that's what I wanted to get at at the end. We need to remember what the greatest thing in the center of our church and our families are. What is the greatest thing in our center? We must celebrate that. I am glad that we are doing it, but let's not lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of the greatest thing in your families and this church. The greatest thing that we have ever received is the blood of Jesus Christ. There is nothing that can compare with that. We wouldn't want to trade that for anything. How could we even imagine trading that for a handbag? You don't trade that for anything, and that's why we are who we are. That's why God continues to show us, this is what I will preserve. He will preserve his blood, the blood of his son, and those that are in it. And that's why we are preserved. Look at him. He says, to give drink to my chosen people. When he creates that inversion, when he creates rivers in the desert, he does it so that we actually become hydrated. We live is the point. We live. Other people, they will try to do this in the desert and only more desert will come out and there will be death. And when his people live, he's saying, I formed them for myself that they would declare my praise. And that's why we're here, aren't we? We're here to declare his praise because in Jesus Christ, who is our center, by his blood, we live. And I never want us to forget that. As we end 2023, remember why you live. You live because Jesus Christ shed his blood for you and he has covered you in his blood. Death passes over you and you are given life. Don't let anybody convolute that. Don't let anybody confuse that in your life. And your life is now, your life is life because God has given it to you. Not because of anything else. And that's what we come to celebrate. We come to celebrate the highest thing. I told you families would get together because blood is a high thing. You know, when you talk about your brother or sister, some of you are very, very, you know, you love your family. The ties are great. And I love that too. I love it when you love your families because it's a very high and lofty thing that, you, that holds you together. Blood is very, very thick. But at the same time, there is a greater blood, even greater than family ties, that we have been covered with that ties us all together, that is in the center of our house of worship. Let us never forget that. And as we enter 2024, let us remember the blood that we have been given. We've been given the blood of Jesus Christ. Praise God.
for his mercy on our lives. Praise God for his faithfulness over our lives. Praise God that he will love a wretched people like us to give us his blood. Praise God for that. Let's serve him with all our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for what you have done for us. Uh, Sometimes, perhaps, we can seemingly take it for granted. We hear about it almost every week, perhaps even more often. And yet, instead of meditating on its significance, its weight, its gloriousness, sometimes it passes us. And we think about other things, things that are lighter. But we thank you for this time that we can be reminded of what is truly, truly the weightiest thing in our lives, what holds us together, what gives us life, what we ought to ultimately celebrate, whether it's in our homes, but especially here in this church. And as we enter into this time of communion, we want to ask you, Lord, to continue to be with us so that we can meditate on what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. Even on the last moments of December 31st in the year of our Lord 2023, we want to be a people that pleases you, for we recognize how much you gave us. Please be with us, O God. Lead your people, for without your leading, we are lost in the desert. We are lost in the wilderness. So we entrust our lives to you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.